This episode of Box Cutters was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the South by Southwest Interactive Conference and Festival in Austin, Texas. There were some technical issues with the recording, and we had to cobble together a number of sources to bring you the finished product. This is why some bits sound different and why the quality might vary. Regardless of that fact, please enjoy the show. Previously on Box Cutters. Hi, I'm Matt from Little Britain, the, the other one from Little Britain. Um, well done on your, no, not well done on your 300 episode of Box Cutters. 600. Come back to me at 600. That's an achievement. <laughs> Boxcutters episode 300, it's the mm. Texas Two-Step. My name is Josh Canal. to my left, Glenn Peters. Hello, Cleveland, no, hello, Austin. Is your mic on? Yeah, okay, yeah. hello, Austin. <laughs> <laughs> and to my right, Brett Cropley. Good evening, viewers. Now, uh, Boxcutters is all, all about uh, TV, and, uh, and, and we're, we're very excited to be here. Very excited to go to uh, an Austin institution last night, uh, the Broken Spoke, which is a, uh, a, a Texas dance hall uh, where we saw Dale Watson play. Glenn, you and I, we saw Dale Watson play. Yes, we did. Uh, he used to play for St Kilda, and now he plays here. Uh, that's, that's right, isn't it? Uh, yes, he did. yes, he did play for St, St. Kilda. St. Kilda. Yeah, 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 a couple and, of seasons. Oh, nice, nice. Uh, and we saw Matt Lucas, uh, who, who you just heard, Matt Lucas from... Uh, uh, from Little Britain, and very excited, we, we went up to, to him and said, uh, Mr. Lucas, you have lots of, uh, lots of fans in Australia, can we get you to give us a congratulations for our 300th episode? And he was right onto it, onto it. he's a lovely, lovely guy, soft as hands I've ever touched. You, you touched them a little bit too long. Yeah, I, 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 I did, hands, I did really hold, and hands. I held the gaze. Um, <laughs> G-A-Z-E. Yes, yeah. correct. No, he's, I think his fellow yeah. was there. Um, and, yeah, he, he did record his little bit for us. Uh, which, which was wonderful. And then uh, we got home and realised that I'd had the recorder on the wrong setting. So what you heard there was Glenn doing his best Matt Lucas impersonation, but saying everything that Matt Lucas yeah. said. That's exactly word for word what he said. It was hilarious what he said. But yeah. him, it was still the same drunk bl- blind... Uh... Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we assume he was, he was drunk. I don't know. He's short. No, I thought uh, Glenn was. Oh, well, that's, that's, that's why you can remember. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, I, I have an amazing memory. <laughs> what, one, one of us was. So, uh, so we're going to tell you what's, uh, what's coming up on Box Cutters. This episode, we have Kyle Killen, the creator of ABC's... Sorry, NBC's Awake. Oh, it's too NBC. soon. No, you know what? The, you, know, you know the problem? So every guest we have is from the ABC because they're the only ones who, who make good content in Australia. Yes. So I'm just so used to, if, the, if it finishes in BC and it's not a number, I'm just used to saying <laughs> ABC. Correct. So, uh, no, it is, it is NBC's Awake, uh, which is Thursday nights, 10pm, 9 central. Uh, so he'll be coming up later on. We've got some letters to box cutters, which will be your questions. So uh, you may have been handed a card on the way in. Fill those in. Ask a question. Three people who ask questions will win a crumpler bag. I was offered eight Nike free T-shirts last night. And we do have a box cutters T-shirt to give away. It is a medium. Going to finish off with, with, with some pork. As always, though, we're going to kick things off with the box cutters news. Just a, a little bit of a different box cutters news uh, this time. Usually we go through the news of the week. Uh, this is episode 300, so it's going to be a little bit different. For one, we're recording it two weeks early. Uh, and for two, uh, it's, it, it just seems like we should talk about the things that we learnt while being uh, at South by Southwest. I'd say key learnings, but then I would die <laughs> uh, of my soul would go deep into hell if I called it learning. So it's, it's more like a show and tell. So, yeah, so, so one of the most uh, impressive things that 
I saw so far at uh, South by Southwest wasn't actually part of South by Southwest. It was we, we happened to be walking past the studio of the Texas State Lottery uh, on 6th on on Street when uh, they were rehearsing for that night's draw. For some reason, the, uh, the, the woman hosting it was not very happy with the way the numbers were falling. She was like, no, that's not right. What if I go to this machine? Oh, I'll try that. But, but most exciting was the way they have their cameras set up where there, there are no humans controlling the cameras. It's all robotics and, and, and the cameras are all automatic and they've got eight cameras pointing all throughout the, uh, throughout the set. They've got like five different lottery machines... Uh, there were uh, two people in the booth, one woman uh, hosting, and that was it. They also had a viewing platform where people could go and watch the lottery be drawn. They could actually be an audience member. There was no way to get into that area, and there was no one already in it, and it just seemed... and And it's glassed off as well. So it looks a little bit like the viewing area of an execution room. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what it looked like. And, and it was probably as entertaining as an execution. This is, <laughs> this is on 6th Street, which is Austin's uh, number one nightclub and street where uh, people really lose their minds and their wallets. And people love to ask you for money and, uh, and try and uh, give you Christian messages and then tell you to go for yourself. So, it's a, it's, Sixth Street's a great, great place. Only yeah. if you want to accept them, Josh. So, so, so only when, uh, yeah. Just accept look, Lord. Look, Josh, he told me I was going to hell Josh, I didn't want to take his badge. Josh was owned He's by a, a deaf guy. Uh, and deaf people don't listen to this show. So, <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's lucky. Speaking, speaking of deaf people, what a great segue. Yes. Speaking of deaf people... Uh, I went to a session on accessibility for uh, video content that is uh, television content that then goes to the internet to be shown. Uh, The US has laws and Australia has laws that any TV episode that, uh, for accessibility purposes, has closed captioning uh, also must have closed captioning on the web version of that show. It has to be the exact same closed captioning uh, there, there are no allowances for, for anything different. I didn't get a chance to ask uh, if shows are allowed to make improvements on the captioning because the, the, the laws say it has to be exactly the same. What I also found out about, because we don't have this in, in Australia, is that uh, blind people can actually get audio descriptions of action so they can watch slash listen to uh, to TV as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, and I spoke to uh, I spoke to some people from the ABC and SBS who who are here in Austin, and they said that they do not have the budget to to do that. So it's something that just we don't do in Australia. We probably never will do in Australia. Uh, but I, I wish we did because that, that that'd be great. That, that'd be great. They don't just have to listen to Radio National anymore. Yep. Yep. <laughs> what, what else did you learn, uh, Brett, Brett? Glenn, you, you went to see uh, Daily Show uh, producer Rory. Yes. Uh, yep. One of you speak. Glenn, Glenn speak. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> I was talk on the other one that we I didn't went like. to see uh, the producer of the Daily Show, Rory Albanese. Albo, I like to call him. We went to see Albo and the the From head of, of the Comedy Channel. Uh, comedy channel person, and there was somebody from Huffington Post, the comedy editor, editor, <laughs> and they talked about uh, political humour for an hour, and it was wonderful. I I also learnt that after a show like this, a lot of people want a piece of people's minds and want to give business cards, and it, it was quite hilarious. We were talking to Rory for for a moment, and then somebody butts in with some. Fabulous repartee, um, right on brief, and then says, "I were and hey, Rory, when have you want some folio, folio development um, software solutions? Please call me." <laughs> that, that was that was wonderful, and yeah, it was good. I think we'll have a few quotes from that session uh, in later episodes of Box Cutters because I did tape it. Oh, great. Great. Uh, you, you know they, they podcast it as well. 
Yeah, I know. Just download but, that and edit it. But I've got a sore arm holding up my phone. <laughs> All right. So, so we're using that. We'll use that. We'll, we'll use, use your that. shitty recording. Exactly. Brett, Brett, have you got anything uh, anything to add? I want to talk to the, the future of entertainment, the uh, viewer becomes user, which is uh, a, a very grandiose kind of title for a session. But uh, it, it's really just about getting uh, the random anonymous people just watching their boxes, as it were, into people that they can actually suck out all that data from and and uh, and monetize all of that. Um, and so we had uh, we had somebody uh, high up from MTV, Mike Scogan, along with uh, the co-founder of the latest uh, online social thing, GroupMe. Uh, that was but Jared. That just Hecht. sounds illegal. Um, as well as uh, uh, Kimber Myers, who's from Get Glue, uh, which is I'm not sure if it's a co- if it's a company that does anything over in Australia. Um, Get, what, Get, Get Glue, we have we have some stuff, and there are some Australian shows on Get Glue. You can get stickers. You can get from stickers. Get Glue. From, from that Get that Glue. seems to be all that they do on Get yeah, Glue. Yeah, I, I I used Get Glue for about a week, and then I went, oh, you know what? I'd actually just rather watch the show. Mm-hmm. And if I want to tell people I watch the show, I will tell them later that I watched the show. Yes. Just by telling them. Yes. So it's, um, it's, a lot it, it, it's interesting. The group me kind of uh, seems to be negating what the ABC in Australia are doing with their set-top boxes, uh, which will be another piece of hardware that also takes up uh, part of the, the actual viewing screen. It's all about the second screen experience these if, days. That's the future of television. If you go back and listen to uh, Box Cutters episode 297, we, uh, we, we talk a lot about that, and I know that from how excited you all are about hearing us talk about it now, you're just going to rush out, rush out and download that. Glenn? Yeah, a lot of, a lot of guys want to talk about that around <laughs> this. Uh, and I also learned something general from Austin and from America, uh, that as Australians, we don't need to change our voices anymore. Uh, use your voice, use your accent. They love us. <laughs> they really, really love us. You say stuff and they will love you. So, you know, you don't need to... Uh, was it La Paglia who was American for, like, 20 years? Well, my, my biggest problem is uh, Australia's own New Zealander, Sam Neill, uh, who... Uh, have you heard his accent in... in uh, Alcatraz. Alcatraz? It's, it's like... It's some weird uh, American Cajun Papua New Guinean... Like, it's, it, it is a mixture of everything. Speaking pigeon. He's speaking a little bit of pigeon. Yep. Or speaking to pigeons. I can't work it out. But, but this, is real, this is actually really good news for us in it's, Australia because, you know, we can be natural. We can play our natural game. Yep. And that's what we're here for, playing our natural game. Having said that, all the big actors, all the big Australian actors that are getting the big jobs, big roles over here in, in uh, LA, in Hollywood, um, aren't using their Australian accents. They're, they're fitting in. They're putting on the American accents. Uh, our friend uh, Josh Lawson was the latest that uh, I've seen doing that. Yeah, but his accent slips a lot, so, you know, it could be that. He's, he's great, though, in... Uh, House of Lies. House of Lies. It's excellent. Excellent. And that is the Box Cutters News. Tell me how this works. I don't know. I close my eyes. I open them. Same as you. Let's just start at the beginning. No, let's start it right now. Fair enough. What's the purpose of the rubber band? Helps me keep things straight. Green's Rex's favorite color. I, I wear a red one with Hannah. You mean in your dreams? What else? Carkillen's career displays the highs and lows of working within Hollywood. Only two episodes of his 2010 drama Lone Star went to air on Fox, and his hotly contested screenplay The Beaver was made into a film starring Mel Gibson just before Gibson's potty mouth drunken rants put him in on Hollywood's Let's Pretend He's Not There list. Now he, uh, that's Carl, has a show on NBC called Awake, which has lasted two episodes with no sign of getting cancelled. Ladies and gentlemen, Carl Killen. Woo! Carl, thanks for joining us on Box Cutters. Thank you so much for having me. The thing that strikes me every time I watch that clip, which is actually uh, two and a bit clips that, that I've pushed together mm-hmm. for, for brevity, 
but it, it hit me when, when I was first watching the first episode of Awake is uh, that, that bit where uh, the male psychiatrist says, let's start at the beginning, which is such an easy... It's such an easy story writing technique where people go, well, this is an opportunity for, uh, for, for exposition. And your character says, no, let's start now. Let the exposition come out from telling the story rather than from telling the, the backstory. Uh, how, how did you get past that past any network producers who love exposition so much? Um, I guess that wasn't difficult. It, it actually, what you want to avoid in pilots a lot is... Well, not avoid, but it's always tough to do what's called a premise pilot, which is the first episode only establishes what the show will be, but it doesn't tell you anything about how the show will go in future episodes. It just it establishes the initial conditions, but people then don't know what they would be tuning in for on a weekly basis. And to some extent, this is still guilty of that. But um, I set a goal that before you went to commercial... Um, I wanted you to know everything you'd need to know to watch the show, all the rules, how it worked, what his life was like, who was involved in it, and then let the episode, even though it was the first one, be very similar to what you know we hope the second, sixth, and sixtieth are like. It, the, there's so much emotion in that first segment where we're, we're discovering what happens. We, we see the, the, the brutal car crash, and uh, and we get the premise, but we also get the sad moment of opening up the sun's uh, untouched room in, in the world where, where the sun is, is dead. But for those of you who don't, I should probably ex- explain. Would you like to explain a little bit about what Awake is, or I could butcher it as, as, as a concept? I almost want to hear you butcher it, but I'm, I'm happy to do it. <laughs> oh, no, well, I'll butcher it. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Awake is about a, a, a policeman, a, a detective. Uh, we're not entirely sure what city he's in it's not it's not really established is that, is uh, it, is that it's los angeles maybe it would maybe it'd be more obvious if you were no maybe not maybe, it's los angeles maybe though. not uh it's uh bit, but it's like the outs we see a lot of the outskirts we see a lot of the uh places where the shield was set right in, uh, in, in los angeles uh and he's he's a detective he and his family are in a car crash which we saw uh and uh after the car crash he is living two realities, one in which his wife died in the car crash and one in which his son died in the car crash. Every time he goes to sleep, he wakes up in the other reality. He wears a, a rubber band, a, a green and a, a red one, uh, depending on which reality he is in, uh, so that he knows whether or not to expect, whether, whether to expect his wife to come through the door or his son to come through the door, and he's not freaked out by, by the other side. Uh, and he, he takes all of this... Uh, quite in his stride. He's, he's uh, somewhat uh, accepting of it, uh, but the people around him aren't necessarily as accepting, and he has, uh, uh, he has work partners who are worried about his, uh, uh, his psychiatric uh, situation and uh, also his, his bosses. He doesn't seem to have a lot of friends, but then a lot of cops on, on TV don't. Uh, did, did I do all right? That was brilliant. Oh. I would buy that from you. That's oh, great, great. Yeah. That's uh, excellent, excellent. I've also uh, I've also got a show about uh, about a con man whose father was also a con man. He, he grew up in the life. This he, sounds killer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> do and tell. He uh, he falls in love with with two women. Uh, mm-hmm. Both of them are, are the results of of a con, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and wants to try to live both lives, but also wants to go straight. Uh, so he has the competing, uh, the, the competing dramatic tension of his father wanting him to stay in the con man life and him wanting to go, to go straight uh, in, in the life of one con and straight in the life of another con. And he wants to have family and he wants to, he wants to do all these things. Both of these cons in two different, completely different towns. Uh, I, I think that's exciting. This is incredible. I think this is a very first... Um Within an interview that I've ever seen. Well, Carl, do, 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 do you like that story? I think it's good for at least six, seven seasons. I was going yeah. I was, I was to base it in uh, in Texas uh, because this Smart. man is this man is alone, mm-hmm. uh, and I thought Lone Star would be a great title. I think it's but brilliant. You, you like that? Really? Well, so Lone Star is a show that uh, that Carl had on Fox uh, that had that that very story, and 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 again, it had this great uh, emotional hook to it. You, 
you started and, and you would understood the plight of of this man uh, and and all the different ways that he was being he was being pulled uh, and uh, most importantly pulled by Fox after two episodes. <laughs> Uh, with, with that, with the duality of, of his life and the duality in uh, uh, in Awake, what is it with you in duality? <laughs> um, I don't know. I think uh, everybody looks at forks in the road in their lives, places where they chose one direction or the other, and you can't help but think what might have happened if you'd taken the other path. So um, I tend to be really interested in characters who try to go both directions at the same time. Like, that's kind of a... It's oddly wish-fulfillment, I think, for, for most people to imagine that you can have it all. But the, uh, the Robert Johnson song. So, so these, these characters are, are being uh, pulled in both ways and, and want to go uh, both ways. I, I, obviously, in, in Awake, he has, uh, he has the luxury of having both parts potentially lost, but he has them both. Whereas the people in, in either reality only sees him with, with one half. So he doesn't want to leave. Right, yeah. I mean, he's created a potentially unsustainable situation, but his whole goal is not to get better, but to remain uh, broken. Because as long as, he, as long as he continues this weird, messed up lifestyle, he still has his wife, he still has his son, and to him that's, that's much more important than ever determining which is real and which is a dream. His, his way of behaving is unsustainable, as you said, and, and there's a problem that it could, it could stagnate, he could get stuck. Do you feel that same problem with the actual story? Sure, I mean, we, you know, when you, when, you, when you sell a series, you usually talk pretty specifically about what you'd like to do with the first season of it, and then you sort of sketch out where you think you'd like to go in subsequent seasons. I mean, you, you then bring in a lot of talented writers, producers, actors, people that, um, you know, when you get together, ideas are generated. And, and so you have to be open to changing, but it's good to have, like, sort of a North Star that you're aiming at. Um, you know, as far as it's stagnating, I kind of think that's... Uh, or, or, or that it being unsustainable, just his situation, I, like, I think that dramatic tension is what sort of makes TV go these days. Like, we, the, the days of something that just prints episodes endlessly um, for a number of years, I think viewers are kind of past that, and a lot of it is the cable and the series that came out of HBO in the 90s and a lot of what's happening on cable today. Like, we, we expect TV to function more like a novel where the characters do change over the course of time and they face new circumstances and it grows and evolves and season five is very different from season one like we want to see the story change whereas if you look at um you know traditional network television from 10 or 15 years ago it's really about making sure you don't break anything you know the beginning of the episode something goes wrong and then by the end it needs to essentially be back to the status quo so that you can do that Forever, I, I know that ABC were very reluctant to uh, put an end date on Lost, and it wasn't until they did that that the show actually started getting better after that very difficult third season. Uh, how is it still difficult to convince networks? Is it difficult to convince NBC that this should be a four-season series? Or... It's interesting. There's a real, I think, divide on that between networks and studios. You know, networks, I think, are very open to and, and talk a lot about, like, changing the model and adopting some of what um, British television does, where they have shorter runs and uh, less seasons. You know, for a studio, you're investing hundreds of millions of dollars in erecting this thing. So once you've got the sets and the actors, and you're your goal really is to crank out as many of those as possible. So um, you have to sort of bridge that divide between what, I mean, obviously networks want to put on as many episodes of something that could be successful, but I think that they're being convinced um, by the success, particularly in drama of cable's model, that um, you might do better having less episodes if they're significantly more awesome than just having um, 
you know, six or seven kind of filler episodes in the middle of every season. So I'm not really sure which way it's, who's going to win that debate, but I know that it's one that's being actively had. I, I do like that you've made it possible that the, the episodes are self-contained. This, this is a beautiful mix between the self-contained because there are two crimes to solve each episode with the general arc of the spiralling life. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that, that's a very smart idea. Well, it's kind of become the price of admission, I think. For I mean, at least based on my experience with Lone Star, which, um, which as you pointed out, went fantastically uh, for two entire episodes. Those, those two episodes, uh, I think... I think what really marks them as, as a success was how much Damon Lindelof was tweeting for people to watch. <laughs> well, we, we appreciate his support. Um, yeah, it was a super serialized story that was exactly like reading a novel. So by the third week, you needed to beg people to not only watch, but to go back and catch up on the first two. Otherwise, you're, you're going to be really lost. And... I think what you referenced, this idea that, you know, if the first time you were to watch this show is is the eighth episode, um, you will understand that something, you know, a, a case comes up and is attacked and is solved in a way that you're not used to seeing someone do it. And hopefully the elements around that that you don't understand are intriguing enough to get you to go back. And, and there's a little bit of something for everybody as well, because there is the, the crime of the week or the two crimes of the week as as has been so far, uh, and uh, and so uh, on a very simple level, it's really easy to just get get involved there. But if people want to get right into it, they can. Especially if people start looking at which bits are green and which bits are red in in the series. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but in the first episode, in the green world the psychiatrist's office is red and in the second episode it's green yes uh that's just something that uh, it was like we were too clever by half so when we got to that second episode we just sort of bit the bullet and uh, hope no one would notice and certainly no one would mention it on a podcast right <laughs> well no no one did no one noticed it at all uh and well done. Uh, so, so was that uh, essentially that the, in the psychiatrist's office that was kind of a doorway into the other side? Exactly. It just, uh, what it ended up being was extraordinarily confusing. So, um, yeah, we really tried to cinch down and it's not just the psychiatrist's office, but wardrobe and color palette and even the, the locations that we use, you, you really try to stay in one color or the other because it turns out... Um, it's, it can be super confusing for the viewer to, to get launched back and forth between the... You know, when we, when we write the episodes, our outlines come out in red and green ink. And I think, you know, sometimes you take for granted... It's, it's very obvious. It's in red ink, so it takes place in that world. But, you know, when you get to looking at cuts, you realize uh, people need more help to orient them as to where they are. So we've, we've tried to work on all sorts of ways to do that. And, and, I, I was thinking a big hat... Mm-hmm. We, you know, we get to the end of the season and we have some fantastic uh, mustaches on some of our characters <laughs> in one side or the other. You know, they're not the most believable, but it, the facial hair is really hard to handle and like for scheduling. So I'm um, pa- pasting on a brilliant mustache as we're fizz. fizz with mutton chops. Nice. Uh-huh. I, I do like the very, very start of it. The car accident sets a very um, serious tone. So for people listening, it looks like a TAC, uh, that's our Road Accident Authority, mm. uh, their television ads. Shock ads. Yeah, Sh- very, very graphic. A shock graphic. <laughs> Brutal ad. ads. Yeah, Brutal. They, they, really, they really are. You really want to wear a seatbelt in Australia. <laughs> like, and, and it's the same lighting. It's, it's almost shot exactly like some of the ads we've seen. So uh, I mean, Australians are going, oh, my God, it's a TAC ad. Oh, wow, it's a show with a T. Oh, whoa. Um, but it sets a very, very serious tone, um, which I enjoyed. Good. Well, there's one. <laughs> Talk around. Uh, enjoyed do- by one Australian. This is why my shows do so well. Uh, well, well, I, well, I do like the serious tone because you do you do speak about male feelings and grief and grieving. Now, death is such a throwaway subject, so of course, talk around that. There's my way out. That's what. <laughs> yeah. That's a trick. Yeah. Well, I, think I wasn't going to help you. The um, 
you know, the subject matter, I think, was definitely uh, something the network wanted to make sure going forward it wasn't a relentless weekly show about people dealing with tragic, horrific... Uh, the killing. Grief. Right, right. Um, you didn't want just three minutes of someone crying in their underwear? Well, that is next week. <laughs> we did it in a happy way. It's, there's music. That there's in the live jug- juggling. Yeah, in the great well done. Um, no, I mean, we tried to make it about these lives going forward, and that's another thing, you know, in the, in the let's start now, instead of, you know, tell me how this happened. Uh, you know, where they are now is, is two sets of people trying to go forward, trying to move past this. And so... Um, it, there's obviously there's and we play that. I mean, there's a there's a lot of emotion involved in sort of what the what the premise is, and we don't back away from that. But at the same time, these are people who are trying to figure out what happens next. But th- there is also a lot of uh, a lot of intelligence in the scripts. Uh, are you worried that over time you'll be forced to? Maybe dumb them down. In... I think I do that all by myself. The, oh, yeah? The, yeah, yeah, I spent all of it in the in the beginning. No, I think that this the like the concern that audiences aren't uh, sophisticated. I just I don't really buy any of that. I mean, I think what ends up happening is that it becomes the it becomes the reason when something doesn't work that people want to reference. But there's a thousand reasons why things don't work, and I don't think this I, personally. I don't think this shows particularly any more intelligent than anything else on, on TV. I mean, it's, it's really, it's just a show. It has a big idea at the, at the center of it, but the stories themselves are, um, are very similar to things that you've seen and understood before, and the characters, I think, are very relatable, and their emotions and their problems are, uh, are also reachable. Did you speak to grieving families? Uh, I try to avoid that. It's really sad. <laughs> yes, <laughs> because I, I do know the... the boys' room not undone. I, I do know a family that had a room. Yeah, no, we... we um, a producer that I work with on the show, um, he has very close personal experience with, with, with good, good friends who have recently um, experienced something very similar to this, and, and you're 100% right. There's, it's not only the... Either way you handle the room is an issue, and do you stay or do you go, and the number of letters and things through Facebook that I've gotten from people that um, um, I wish I could say that I set out to do it right. I set out to do what I imagined was right and the way that it's resonated with people who've experienced something like this has, I guess, been um, been gratifying. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased that they can relate to it, even if it is in some ways emotional for them. So, so you live to make people sad. Uh, that's kind of how it's turning out, yes. Yeah. So is there, are, are you actually kind of, is there a, a marked distinction between a Fox audience and an NBC audience that, that you're creating the show for? Do you, do you have to aim at a different level or...? or... I think there is. I mean, I, I, you know, uh, it's a little more subtle in network, uh, as opposed to like cable, where your whole your whole situation is that you have to define yourself very specifically so that you can draw a very specific audience. Um, and Lone Star was an exception for Fox, and that I think they were they bought into this idea that um, you could do a cable show on network. That if Breaking Bad were on a network, it would just have five times as many viewers because there's not anything about it that's inherently uh, it has to be on cable. It just the fact that it's awesome should be enough to make people watch. Uh, but there's also different uh, different rules about what you can actually show on screen. That's true, yeah. and a lot of those things uh, I think probably would have been tricky. Um, but content-wise, in terms of just what's an idea for a show, this uh, this distinction between a cable idea and a network idea, I think they wanted to experiment with whether or not that was true and. Uh, you know, Lone Star may not have been the perfect vehicle for that, but to your point about you know what is the network trying to get you to do in that particular case, they were trying to get us to make it as cable as possible, to make him as unlikable and as much an anti-hero as we could. You know, to just to not shy away from any of the things that would normally be problematic on network, and then it all turned out to be extraordinarily problematic on on network. So, so your experience with with Fox and Lone Star didn't hurt you at all trying to uh, to uh, get a show up at, at NBC? 
did, did it help? Did people see Lone Star and think, well, here's a talent that Fox just doesn't appreciate? Or, did, well, well, there's I, a show know, that failed. It's weird that I'm um, so defensive of Fox, but really uh, they did appreciate it. They were, they were all in. And um, uh, there was the call from the network president about canceling it. I mean, I, he seemed genuinely as upset as we were. The, the numbers were simply not... You just couldn't do that. I mean, it was a, a giant black hole in the middle of their their week. So I get that it wasn't uh, sustainable, but they made a real effort to make the show we wanted to make to take a uh, to swing for a home run. And you know, we all struck out, but I feel like we all did it together. I don't feel like um, Fox screwed me. I actually feel like Fox supported me. So when you talk about uh, that being uh, a way forward. It was the same studio that offered me, you know, the day we were canceled, the chance to do something else and a chance to do it really, really quickly. And uh, and this is what I came up with. And, and ultimately, NBC was the, the next place willing to take a chance. How many episodes of Lone Star were actually made? And will is is it coming out on a DVD box set? So uh, we made some six. Kind of closure? And I don't, th- I don't think so. You know the. Um, I want closure. I know, I know. We've showed them here at uh, at the Austin Film Festival. They've screened all six, and that was that was a lot of fun. But um, it comes down to oddly little things like music clearances, things that are in there that yeah. it's just hard for them to throw more money at uh, something that will that will never generate any more money. Uh, what about? Uh, so, so yes, DVD box set uh, is. No, I've lost that completely. I could, I could print one up for you. We'll do the personalized. I would, I would love that there a lot. You go. Josh was begging for a movie. I, uh-huh. I really, yeah, I think I really just wanted a, a Lone Star movie, right? Uh, just to tie everything up. No, so my question was going to be, uh, how much do you think setting it in Texas and having it, uh, having it set and shot in Texas, affected the way people reacted to it on television? I don't know. You know, it's all anecdotal. I mean, uh, I think maybe it wasn't a strong selling point. I think it also turned out a lot of people didn't have a great picture of what the show was based on our advertising, which, again, let me just say, it's not like it. they would show that to me and I would say that's terrible. They would show that to me and I would say that's incredible. I would totally watch that show. Oh, so it's completely different to the way they do it in Australia. How does that work? Uh, in, in Australia, they, uh, they create the advertising in a bubble. Uh, each part of the advertising is in a separate part of the network, and then nobody shows it to anybody, and then it may or may not appear in the world. <laughs> it sounds and, like a highly efficient system. It's, it's, it's great. Everybody or nobody watches. It's, it's mm-hmm. sensational. Yes. That's, sorry, I thought, I thought you had something there, Glenn. Uh, so... Uh, with uh, with Awake being on NBC, NBC is in so much trouble. It's, it, when Brett, when you were talking about uh, NBC's audience as compared to Fox's audience, yeah. And my, my first shows. thought was, well, the difference is that NBC doesn't have an audience because uh, their ratings are so bad. How bad are they? Like one point five. Uh, the it's a terrible joke. <laughs> It's very specific. It's, it's, it's aimed at a very small audience. It's a tiny, t- yeah. tiny audience. Uh, the uh, what? So, what so I was talking about with that was that uh, they've got the office and they've got community and they've got these great shows and and perhaps it's because their audience are more into the downloading, watching online, watching on catch up, uh, whatever way they do it. They're not watching it live when it's when it's being broadcast. We've done a number of uh, Vox Pops here of people. One of the things we've been concentrating on in Box Cutters in, in the past year is how people watch TV. And uh, a lot of people in Australia uh, just download torrents illegally and watch it because the networks treat them so badly. Uh, and then there are catch-up services on uh, with some networks. We can say that because we're out of the country. Yeah. <laughs> not allowed. Free from criminal prosecutions. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> not allowed back in. Uh, actually, no, here is where they could... Su- oh, su- well, okay, strike that from the record. Uh, the, uh, it, here, a lot of people watch Hulu. They might not have a Hulu Plus account, but their sister might have a Hulu Plus account that they, uh, th- that they piggyback off. Uh, they don't subscribe to cable television anymore because they can get those shows through other means. 
they don't necessarily own a television anymore. So the idea of, of actual ratings doesn't seem to make much sense as far as judging the, the success or failure of a show. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely going away or it's, it's morphing. There was just an article in the New York Times about, uh, you know, taking into account time shifting in uh, the real life. You know, Thursday used to be the day that you sold all your advertising because that's when you sell advertising for movies that people are going to see, for cars that people are going to go shopping for over the weekend. So you want to hit them with that right before they're going to go out the door. But it, they've realized that what people are watching on Thursday is Wednesday's shows. So all that advertising has backed up a night. And if you just look at the ratings, that's not reflected. But when you look at these DVR ratings, you realize that you know, um, it actually changes the standings. You know, Something like Modern Family is actually the wo- most watched show in America. It's not the most watched live, but advertisers are starting not to care. And I think eventually the networks are going to have to take into account it just the way we counted people before it doesn't reflect what people do today. It's, it's the same with box cutters. Not, not a lot of people watch it live, mm-hmm. uh, but Correct. a lot of people will watch it later. I'm hoping that, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, do, does that help you feel uh, less incumbent in the creative cycle? You know, I think you can't help it. Anytime there's a number that's going to be published, yep. you're going to be judged by that number, and you're, to some extent, going to judge yourself by that number. You know, one of the advantages, disadvantages of doing um, a show the way we just did is that we're done. You know, we've we made the show that we uh, more or less wanted to make and ended it the way we wanted it to end, and now all that can happen is it can air. So you're not creatively in any way beholden to the ratings. You know, yes. it could be going smashingly or horribly, and we wouldn't be able to change anything. Another change I'm noticing is that uh, ordinarily, at, at this time, at the start of March, they wouldn't have a show starting. There was the season, and then there's the mid-season replacements, and your show actually started after the mid-season replacements. It's a mid-season replacement replacement. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what that says is that that terminology is outdated because we actually have year-long programming now there is no season and an off-season, right. so, so to speak. Things start and they finish uh, when they happen. A lot of the cable networks now are premiering things just in time for summer, and, uh, and, and these are things like Eastbound and Down that rate really well for them. Uh, so that, that's another change that's, that's coming, is that people watch not only a, a few days later, but they also watch all the way through the year. Right. Uh, which means they're playing outside less, I'm guessing, or something. Just getting fatter. That's yeah. really, contributing to diabetes is really our goal. That's good. That is, that is a, a good goal. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, you know, with earthquakes and stuff, maybe heavier people will just help settle the ground. Mm-hmm. All, that, this all sounds accurate. Yeah. yeah I, I know a lot about meteorology and stuff. <laughs> and Geology. So, but to your, you That's know, uh, covered in and stuff, right? <laughs> Geology. Yes, sorry. The, the, it's actually a godsend, especially for a show like this, which um, you know people have at least labeled complicated, and I can debate with that. But um, you know, Lone Star was launched not just you know as a fall premiere, but in a fall where they decided to bring back the classic every network does premiere week, and mm. it's like a gladiator match where everybody just runs their new show out against each other and uh, and things live or die almost instantly so it's really hard, easy to get lost in the shuffle of something like that to to have a, to have a time of year when you can own your premiere and they can promote it by itself uh, is it's really really good for a show like this how much have you learned in the last three years dealing with all these networks and like did you know any of this going in no, it's been uh, it's been sort of baptism by fire. There's been a lot. Uh, it's 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 been very educational, and I think probably more educational having uh, failed spectacularly than it would have been to just sail along. Um, although I, I would trade the education for <laughs> for a slightly uh, more successful track record. Excellent. Well, uh, Carl Kellen, thank you very much. You'll uh, be be sticking around for uh, a segment we call Letters to Box Cutters, where people will actually ask their questions of you if you have any written out. And, you know, if you do, it's a really good chance that you will win one of three crumpler bags. 
One of three crumpler bags. Look at the odds in this room. The odds, the odds are great. You can see the tension. Gary Postman. I have a letter for you. No, I'm just the postman. 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 So do we have any uh, any questions for, for Kyle? You don't even have to write them down anymore. Just shut them out. <laughs> really? Shut them out. Shut them out. Did you start as a writer? Did you start as a writer? That's a fantastic question. Uh, yes. Uh, I started, uh, I went to film school and then I, I had to finish it and had some short stories published and then started turning those into screenplays and then uh, The Beaver, which you mentioned, sort of um, sort of got me noticed and, uh, and was being made when I had an opportunity to take something to television and that turned out to be Lone Star, which resulted in Awake. It's like my life story in 60 seconds. And how did your parents take it when you said, Mom, Dad, I want to be a writer? You know, they're, um, they took it the exact opposite of the way I thought they would. It was sort of like, uh, it wasn't Mom, Dad, I want to be a writer. It was Mom, Dad, I think, I'm, I think I might be terrible at this, and it's uh, painful and horrible, and I'm going to give up and go to law school. And they said, why? You, you don't want to be a lawyer. It'd be horrible. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, it was that sort of counterintuitive push in the right direction that actually made me stick with it. And I'm not sure, even for my own kids, that that's what I would have said. So I'm really, um, I'm forever in their debt for, for taking it that way. Any, any other questions? Two more compliments. Yes. <laughs> you mentioned <coughs> Breaking Bad as an example of a program that was too many What are the qualities of Breaking Bad that scared networks? Well, probably everything on that show, but I think you know the biggest distinction is the anti-hero at the center of it. Like, can people get behind someone who is actively worsening from season to season, and can they sell their advertisers on being excited about associating themselves with a show where you know the guy is making and dealing meth and murdering people and. It's just uh, the big tent of network sort of requires main characters that are a lot less uh, fallible than that. So, based on that, do you think TV in general would be better if we didn't care about advertising? Would TV be better if we didn't care about advertising? Would TV be better if we said we don't care about advertising? I guess that depends on how you feel about Showtime and HBO shows. You know, they're the numbers don't matter in terms of how many people watch, how many people watch at any given time, or how many people watch on demand. The one thing that matters is how many subscribers. So there are no advertisers who vote with your with your wallet by subscribing to the service. And um, I happen to be a huge fan of what those two networks have done. And, and you know, HBO really paved the way for everybody else. And shows on you know right up to this year with a show like Homeland has done. Uh, a lot of catching up and in some cases um, surpassing. So yeah, I think when it's really just about, when the only requirement is that it be like really, really, really good, then um, that drives everybody involved to, to really take chances and sometimes those chances really, uh, they really, really pay off. There, there was a, an excellent XKCD come to recently where a, a guy tries to uh, download uh, Game of Thrones if he wants to Buy it and, and he can't buy it. He can't, he can't get it on Hulu that he subscribes to. He can't buy it on iTunes. He goes through all of these processes and ends up just downloading it on, on a bit time. Uh, it's just a lot funny when you read it. <laughs> when I say, is that a problem that HBO and Showtime are, are, are getting in turn? People don't have cable subscriptions because they've been told they can have all these other opportunities. And I'm I'm asking you to answer on behalf of all of American television. And I really I appreciate that opportunity. I like to be the voice of American the TV viewer and television itself. It's great. I'm going to handle both sides of it. I don't know what the inside discussions are for HBO and Showtime, but I know just as a human being who not, uh, you know, until recently was very sporadically employed, um, but when you make something difficult to get that I want, uh, I will always choose the easier way. And, you know, it's just, it's the things we do to lock stuff up and to make the paying customer suffer for having done it 
right. You know, the other great example, I'm sure you've seen the, the internet things where they compare the BitTorrented version of a movie to the one you paid $25 for the DVD where you're locked into sitting through the commercials and previews. And that, I mean, it's, it's utterly absurd that the product you pay for is a lesser version than the one that is instantly, easily, universally accessible. And until you figure out how to make the thing you pay for better than the one you get for free, I guarantee people will be choosing the free option in droves. I, I mean, I, I personally have violated your copyright several times this afternoon. Awkward statement. Is <laughs> <laughs> it odd that I appreciate it? <laughs> that's, that's the way we grow. Yeah. Another, just one last thing I think. Yes. Uh, as a writer, you'll get later on somebody will say, I spent Sunday watching nine episodes, nine hours. How, how would that make you feel when people say they have watched, they give you their Sunday nine hours before show? It's uh, it's intensely gratifying and makes me slightly worried about that person. <laughs> yes, but that's how, that's how a lot of uh, people we've spoken to watch a series. They will they'll sit down and watch an entire series in, in the day. And I say that I mean right. And I do the same thing. And uh, knowing how I feel about those shows that get that sort of like loyalty and addiction out of me, it would be. Uh, it, Incredibly gratifying to hear that um, that you you offer something the same the same sort of crack. If you if anybody here really really wants to get into a very dark place, watch ten episodes of Oz in a row. Well, that will just mess you up. Carl Killer, thank you so much for joining us on Box Cutters. This is, uh, this is uh, the part of the uh, show that we call Pork, which is the end of the show, uh, where we just say stuff that we can fit into the rest of the show. Uh, most importantly, the winners of the crumple bags are that side of the room! <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, congratulations to you all. You'll be going home with an excellent, excellent crumple bag. Uh, Australian owned and produced and just superb stitching and everything. It's great to see. And Waterbury, which is which has been a godsend. Oh, and it is recommended by Kyle. Kyle Killen, owner of a crumpler bag. <laughs> a little bit too early. Because you could have had one. Uh, also uh, we have uh, iron-on transfer uh, uh, iron-on patches. Uh, that you can collect. So, uh, box cutters, iron patches. If you already have one, take more. We've got so many. Uh, and, uh, and if you don't have one, please come and ask us for it. Uh, that brings us to the end of box cutters episode 300. I want to say thanks very much to Kyle Killen, uh, as well as the Crumpler team. I want to say thanks to Cosgam Printing, Float Design Partners, Lyndall McElwain, all the people who donated money to get us here. <laughs> Until next week, my name is Josh Canal. I'm Glenn Peters. Hello, Austin. I continue to regret currently. Thanks for listening to Box Cutters. Catch us again next week. Same that time, same that channel. Actually, taking a little break. And hey, let's be careful out there. Hey, this is Rory Albanese. I'm the executive producer of The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, and I'm just so excited about Box Cutters' 300th episode. I mean, I can't even tell you. The, the buzz in New York City alone about this has just been its, it's palpable. Congrats, guys, and uh, good luck. Also, I don't really know these guys, and they're bigger than me, and they're from Australia, and they're making me say nice things about their show, Box Cutters. I, I don't know anything about their show, Box Cutters. Please help me. This episode of Box Cutters was produced by myself, Josh Canal, with help from Glenn Peters and Brett Cropley. John Richards edited the program, and Peter Wilson makes sure it gets from our servers to your ears. Hi, this is Pete Smith. You've been listening to or have just missed Box Cutters.